Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you um, for this Advent season, and we thank you, Lord, that you are one who gives hope, who brings hope, who embodies hope, who fills us with hope through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so that is our prayer today, Lord, that you would fill us with hope and renew the hope um, of our lives, the hope of our salvation, our understanding, our faith, our reliance on the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. So Advent season is upon us. Uh, how many of you love Advent season? You can raise your hand. Yeah, good. A lot of you do. You're my people. You're good. Advent is a church season uh, where we restart the church calendar. So this would be the first Sunday of the church calendar historically for Christianity. Last week was Christ the King Sunday. That's the last Sunday of the church calendar. And so today we begin Advent. Advent is a season of anticipation, in many ways mirroring the anticipation that God's faithful people back then held uh, 2,000 years ago as they waited for the coming Messiah. It serves as a reminder each year to us of the many things that Jesus came to do and fulfill through coming to this world, through growing up, serving, healing, ministering, showing us what embodied love looks like, dying on the cross for our sins, and conquering death with the grave. And it also, too, is a reminder that we, too, wait for in Jesus Christ's return. We have anticipation. We have waiting because Jesus said that he's coming back, right? And so as much as Advent is about leading up to the Christmas season and remembering Jesus' birth and remembering the events of 2,000 years ago, it's also about the leading up of Jesus' triumphant return as he comes back someday to usher in final judgment, a new heaven, and a new earth. And we're not necessarily going to frame this whole Advent series that way, uh, but I feel given how many cr Christians lately have been asking those questions, is Jesus coming back? Look at what's happening in the Middle East and in Israel. Um, I think it's always important to view the truths of this season, both with a rearview mirror, looking back across history and God's faithfulness, uh, but also looking forward. And we find when we look back and when we look forward, we see Jesus in both places. We see what Jesus has done, and we see what Jesus has promised to do. And so in the Advent season, uh, we can do both of those things. So I think this uh, Advent season, that's one of the prayers I have for you as well, is that you would be reflective on God's promises and how he has fulfilled those, but also looking forward, uh, knowing that the pain and the suffering that we live in in this world today is not ultimately what is going to win, that Jesus Christ is going to win that he will return as he has promised. So week one of Advent is always about hope. Um, I've been a pastor for, this is my seventh Advent now, uh, formally as a called pastor. And sometimes I feel like a broken record when we get into these Advent seasons. It's the same four things we preach about every Advent, those four Sundays. Uh, but each year they take on a little bit different flavor. And each year the world that we live in is a little bit different. So I challenge you, don't tune out just because you've heard a sermon or two or 50 or 60 on hope. Hope is a feeling of expectation. It's a desire for certain things to happen. And we as Christians in this world should be full of both of those things. A desire and an expectation for certain things to happen. Hope is often also used to communicate a feeling of trust in a relationship. For example, one might put a lot of hope or trust in their spouse to be faithful, to honor them, to serve them. Or maybe you put hope or trust in your parents to take care of you and nurture you. 
Or maybe you would say, I have hope, I have trust in Jesus Christ. So there's this relational aspect to this word as well. And hope is akin to faith. Hope is akin to faith. So today we have many hopes as God's people, just as they had many hopes 2,000 years ago. We hope for God's gospel to be proclaimed and received by many. I hope that is one of your hopes. And we do our parts in that, I hope, that we participate in this work that God has given us. We hope for our families and for our loved ones to know the Lord and to be cared for in this life. We hope for a better understanding of God's word, of his Holy Spirit. And we hope that we would better understand the calling that God places on each of our lives. Uh, we've been talking about this in our adult study this morning down below in the social hall. Uh, sometimes we view our calling like it has to be this huge, big, fancy thing. Uh, and N.T. Wright uses this analogy of a big cathedral where he serves and works in England. And he said that for a thousand years, as long as that building's been there, there's been a small team of stone workers working on the stones. Because every time a stone cracks or breaks or comes loose, they actually have to form and fashion a stone to go back where that stone came from and replace it. And sometimes we view uh, our work as the master builder's work, that we have to do it all or make this huge, massive impact in the world for God or for our family or whatever, when in fact God is calling us to figure out which stone we are and that even the finger and the toe of the body of Christ is important and has a role to play. So we have many hopes that we can figure out our calling and what is that piece or those few pieces that God is calling us to do, which actually does benefit the kingdom of God and his work, even though it might not be huge or flashy. So we do have many hopes as the body of Christ. And so now looking in the rearview mirror, what was Israel hoping for? They were hoping for the Messiah. They were hoping for the promised deliverer of the Jewish nation, as was prophesied, as was believed. See, when God was speaking through the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah and Jeremiah and others, God was not just addressing the people of that time and their actions and behavior. God was also often planting seeds and making promises of what was to come. So he was promising to deliver them. And so let's look at our Isaiah text to get a better picture of what they were hoping for. And you heard this read, but we're going to work through a couple chunks of this again, as well as our Mark passage. So our Isaiah text says this from Isaiah chapter 40. It says, Comfort, comfort my people, says our God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. If you were a Jewish person 2,000 years ago reading this, what would you hope to feel? How would that encourage you? You would hope, you would pray fervently for comfort, right? That their capital, Jerusalem, which was always sort of this epicenter of their faith in Israel, uh, this holy place would receive comfort from the hand of God. And maybe a future of no more destruction and no more bloodshed. And we know that as Isaiah wrote this, uh, not too long after that, there was destruction and bloodshed. And there is today in Jerusalem as well, right? But God has still made a promise, and we still wait for that promise. So continuing, uh, what were they looking forward to back then? They were looking forward to verse 3, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So Israel was waiting for that voice. They were waiting for that one that they knew would come 
to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Chosen One. And in Isaiah 40, verse 10, it proclaims that the sovereign Lord comes with power. God's people then were, were often waiting for and expecting God's divine intervention for their sake. You can see that all across the pages of the Old Testament. So you can imagine over hundreds of years between the last prophet and Jesus, how many people might have given up this hope? Because it was a really long wait. Generations and generations came and went without this promise being fulfilled. But not everybody did. And so we see the fruition of these prophecies coming in the pages of our Mark text. And so I'm going to read through, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to read through our Mark text here as well again. So Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, he's quoting what we just read out of Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. It'd be really easy to gloss over that last verse, but how many of you survive on a diet of locusts and wild honey? No, I don't like to eat bugs either. You're also my people. Thank you. I know there's nutritional value, but really, the crunch, no, no. Uh, so John the Baptist was like this nature dude, right? And what's really interesting about this, uh, being the voice in the wilderness, this says that people left their towns, people came from the countryside to him out in the wilderness. Um, it's a little different than our culture today. Normally we go to town to do stuff, to worship together, to get what we need. I love that there are still uh, stable churches out on the countryside, even within a few miles of here, out in the middle of nowhere, where people for generations have gathered to worship the Lord and encounter him. And so people were leaving their homes and their towns and maybe even the safety and going to a wild place because John the Baptist came with this authority of God and he preached with this authority of God that they hadn't really experienced in recent memory. Because he was that voice that came to prepare a way for the Lord. And some noticed that and some recognized that. But he was clear that he was not the awaited Messiah. So verse 7, this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John the Baptist said this in verse 8. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So again, John the Baptist, he is that voice. He's calling out to God's people to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's talking about repentance and turning away from your sin and going through this baptismal ritual of washing away the old and experiencing the new life that God has. And more so, John stated clearly that he only baptized with the water. He only baptized with the water. But that the Messiah coming would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so why is that significant? Uh, it was understood by those who know God's word and Israel's history in that day that big things happened when the Holy Spirit came on God's people. Think of, uh, think of the Exodus story. The Holy Spirit descending for God's people looked like a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire to lead them in the wilderness. It looked like a burning bush. It looked like an anointing on Moses or on Noah or on Samson with supernatural strength. 
There's all of these examples in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God came upon someone for a specific purpose, for a specific season, and big things happened. And so now John the Baptist is saying, I baptize with you with water, but the Messiah is going to baptize you with the Spirit of God. So the expectancy for this was huge. This wasn't going to be normal anymore. This wasn't going to be the life that they'd experienced. This was going to be something powerful, something transformative. So the Messiah is coming, proclaimed John. Be ready. Place your hope in the Lord's promises. And look for the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So that's what they were hoping for. In this first season of Advent, that's where we're going to stop for that. So what are we hoping for today? Where is our hope placed? And I want to read from Romans 8. This wasn't one of our passages that we heard read here this morning, but I think it captures really well the hope that we as the body of Christ today feel and the tension that we're stuck in. So this is Romans 8, 18 through 25. It says this. Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in order that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So Paul here is laying out this reality for all in Christ Jesus. That means Paul's hope here, I think, mirrors our hope today, if we're honest. If we know the promises of God and we live in the tension and the suffering of this world, maybe intimately in our own lives, but if not there, we at least look out and see it in the lives of others. Paul's hope here is exactly our hope as the people of God today. We wait patiently, uh, we wait in eager expectation, even in the sufferings, because we know that in Christ, the work of God that we're called to do today is good, and the glory that is coming is going to be glorious indeed. And we know that God is working something right now. He's doing something, even when we don't see it. He's doing something through his church, through his people, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul continues in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And for in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So this is a passage about hope. And it's not just our hope, it's the hope of all of creation, waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. Waiting for Jesus to return, as he had said. But also understanding that the work of Jesus is happening now and here today. And just so you don't have any... Um, jump to any other conclusions. The hope is Jesus. Paul's hope here is rooted in Jesus and only Jesus. His hope is not in his power. His hope is not in this person or that person. It is in Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. It is rooted in Jesus and it is Jesus. And any hope that we hold today in the midst of our own personal sufferings or in the sufferings of this world, our hopes too are to be placed in Jesus. And our hopes placed anywhere else are going to be disappointed at the end of the day. And so that gives us hope 
not just for today, that our present sufferings aren't going to compare to what God's doing in this world. It gives us hope for tomorrow, too, because Jesus has indeed promised to return. And just like Israel then, seeing oppression and war and famine all around them, we look around the world and we see the exact same things today. And so we're not that different than the Jewish people waiting for the Messiah to come. But I would argue that we have much more of the story now. And we've seen the Messiah, and we've seen his work, and we've heard the good news, and we've received it. But we too are still eagerly waiting for the children of God to be revealed and for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to return. So one last thing I want to touch on here this morning is that sometimes we can know all of this in our heads. Many of you are like, yes, I've heard these things before. That's where my hope is. Um, We can know these things in our heads and not feel it in our hearts. Uh, I had a a youth ministry class years ago um, as part of a college May term, and one of the whole premises of this youth ministry class was that we want the good news to go from the head to the heart. And this morning for you, I want you to get a step closer to having that hope, if you're not feeling it, go from the head to the heart. Oftentimes, our faith can sustain us in those seasons where we don't feel it, and that's a good thing, because our feelings aren't everything. There are external truths uh, that go above and beyond our feelings. But oftentimes also we find ourselves full of doubts, full of anxiety, and even despair about the world and the future and our place in that future. And so I want us to be reminded today that we can experience this hope. And we can feel this hope even if we aren't feeling it right now. These scriptures today all talked about the Spirit of God. They talked about the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus came to baptize with his Holy Spirit. And because of that reality, if you or I have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then we know that the Holy Spirit has been and is working in us, which means we too have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that means that if it's Jesus' Spirit, who's in us? Jesus. Jesus is at work in us. This is a promise. And if Jesus is at work in us, we can experience Jesus. We can experience this hope that Jesus comes to give. His love, his peace, his grace, and his power, and the hope that he brings, it isn't just an intellectual thing that we hold up here. It is a reality that we experience here. Hope is experienced because Jesus is experienced through the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's not super profound to you. It really was to me this week, and I don't know why. So that's why I'm sharing it. Because sometimes there's this disconnect between what we believe here and what we live and feel here. Hope is experienced because Jesus is experienced, which means Jesus is working in you. You, You've got it. You can experience that hope. And so my simple prayer for you today is this. In this Advent season, Ask our loving Heavenly Father to fill you with his spirit and to allow you to experience the hope of all hopes that is Jesus Christ. So that wherever you're at right now, you would get a taste of what God has come to give you this season. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Um, Thank you for these testimonies going back thousands of years 
We thank you for the testimony of those faithful people who read the scriptures and they watched and they waited to see how you were going to fulfill your promise and bring this Messiah, this chosen one, to rescue God's people. Lord, we thank you for the pages of the Gospels that show us Jesus' life, his message, his ministry, his love for us in a profound way, that show us his death for our sins, and that show us the empty tomb. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of the book of Acts, as you do indeed fulfill your promise to pour your Holy Spirit upon the church, your people. So today it is in that reality that we live, God. And I pray that we would, with eager expectation, seek to experience your hope, your love, your grace, and your peace in this season. And Lord, we know that that's a work only the Holy Spirit can do. It's not about us forcing it or earning it, Lord. It is about a free gift that you give us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that hope today, may we receive it, may we experience it through the music, through the scriptures, and through Holy Communion that we'll take together in a few minutes. Lord, your presence is here, and we embrace it and we welcome it in Jesus' name. Amen.